What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. You're in trouble tonight, old man. No Buff Bagwell here to help you. And let's face it, you're 102 years old. If I kill you, there's not a coroner in the world that won't say it's natural causes. So get your petrified, fossilized ass out here, because I need someplace to put my foot. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today empowered by our good friends over at the IRW Network. Head on over to the IRWnetwork.com and every Monday get a brand new episode of the Triple Threat Podcast featuring the franchise Shane Douglas as well as the two-man power trip of wrestling John, Paz, and myself every Monday on the IRW Network. Again, it's IRWnetwork.com for a lot of awesome wrestling content and brand new shows from all the stars of the IRW Network, including us, the Triple Threat Podcast, again featuring the franchise Shane Douglas and the two-man power trip of wrestling. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, today on the show, we tend to take it a little controversial sometimes, but right now I think we might tip the iceberg as we welcome in a guy who's stepped away from the business but still has quite the impact whenever he opens his mouth, and that is the one and only former WCW color commentator Mark Madden, who joins us today. And Mark Madden, of course, he is a well-known sports announcer, sports talk radio host in the city of Pittsburgh. And Mark Madden's been around for a long, long time, but kind of stepped away from the wrestling business and is more 
focused on what's going on in the city of Pittsburgh with Pittsburgh Sports. And you can catch him on Pittsburgh Radio as well as on iHeartRadio. And with Mark Madden, I definitely think that uh, talking to him is an interesting move for us. Uh, he has some very, very, very outspoken views on the WWE and just professional wrestling as a whole. And we kind of get his take on a lot of the stuff going on in the wrestling business. But as per the usual with Mark Madden, he's very, uh, very honest, very outspoken. And he speaks his mind and he gives us a very raw look at, oddly enough, the business of WWE, which produces Monday Night Raw. So it kind of works itself out in a certain way. But I want you to listen to the end of the interview where you get to hear his response to Jim Cornette. Of course, our buddy Jim Cornette, we love him. He is one of our favorite guests that we do have on this show. And Jim Cornette always still, just he's not a Mark Madden fan, and he brings it up every so often on the Jim Cornette Experience, on MLW Radio, on iTunes. Everybody knows that show. But I had to do it at the end of the episode as we were getting ready to sign off. And I had to ask Mark Madden his thoughts on Jim Cornette. And that is an interesting little part we have here at the end of this interview. So please take a listen to that. But also we kind of dive into what may have caused the demise of WCW from Mark Madden's point of view. We kind of relate what was going on in WCW in the, quote, darker days, 99, 2000 into 2001, and how it may parallel today's professional wrestling and today's WWE because of a lot of the similarities that WWE panned for a long time with WCW. But if they kind of take a look in the mirror, there might be a few things that they see that is a little bit similar to the management practices of WCW, the creative uh, department, if you will, and maybe doing some things on the fly. But John, as I welcome you in here now, we got to not even forget about this, but it was a huge weekend down in Philadelphia. We spent an amazing day with good old JR Jim Ross, our triple threat podcast co-host Shane Douglas, Mikey Whipwreck, and a litany of great fans in Philadelphia. Man, you guys brought it to the greatest extent. We had such a fun day. And I can't forget Tony Schiavone, who we got to spend some time with, as well as WWE Hall of Famer and another podcast host, the one and only Jerry the King Lawler. It was an absolutely unforgettable day for us. And hopefully in the next coming weeks and months, you'll hear some more of the guests that we will be bringing into the fold of the two-man power trip and some of these convention appearances that we'll be doing. And just again, it was an amazing day in Philadelphia. And John, as I welcome you in here, why don't you talk a little bit about Philly, if you can, as well as Mark Madden and what it means to have him on the show. Because, of course, WCW being your wheelhouse, this was one I'm sure you were definitely looking to dig those WCW uh, nails into and kind of uh, get into the brain of the super genius Mark Madden. Yes, Chad, back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling, and it's a big one, the controversial, the super genius Mark Madden. But before I get into the super genius and all things of the Pittsburgh native, first, like you mentioned, I wanted to talk about Icons had a great Saturday in Philadelphia, like usual, at the Icons Collectors Fest. And obviously, if you know the two-man power trip, you know that we brought in good old JR Jim Ross. And we had one hell of a time, made uh, some good change, and uh, did a lot of great things with JR. So please, you know, 
Go on to our Facebook page, go on to our website, check out some stuff that we did with JR. Even check out the old Twitter machine and see what we did. Some pictures, some cool stuff. We teamed up with Jerry the King Lawler for a bit. We teamed up with Tony Schiavone for a bit. So some really, really good stuff coming out of Icons. And of course, thank you to Rob, Tim, and of course, Tommy Dreamer, as always. Always awesome in Philly. Icons Collectors Fest is the number one autograph signing. It's the premier signing going on now for any wrestling conventions. And they really do it up and they do it up right. And each one just keeps getting bigger and bigger and better and better. And good old JR was quite a great experience for us. And it was awesome hanging out with JR. And of course, if you're around the New York City area on a Friday 18th, Come check out JR with special guest Paul Heyman for his Ringside with JR show at the Gotham Comedy Club. It's going to be awesome. And hey, come on over to the merch table and you'll find me. I'll be working with JR for the day. Quite an amazing uh, night we're going to have. Quite an amazing accomplishment to say, you know, not only did we work with JR, I'm actually working for him. So that's pretty cool. So please stop on by the 18th of August this week. For the big ringside show with JR and Paul Heyman and kick off Summer Slam weekend the right way. But I digress and let's talk a little Mark Madden. Let's talk about the super genius himself. We start, of course, you know, with his time in WCW. How he got into WCW he was a part-time correspondent. He went to the 900 hotline. He wrote for WCW Magazine. He wrote for WCW.com. He did some audio commentary for the house shows. If you're not familiar with those, check those out. Those are really cool if you can find them. Check them out. Really, really cool stuff. It's almost like alternate commentary, almost like radio broadcast of some big-time house shows that WCW did back in the day. And then, of course, we talk about his WCW Live days. Yes, WCW Live was basically the original podcast, for those of you that aren't familiar with it. It definitely was something different for that time. And nowadays, you'll see millions of shows do some stuff like that. And millions of shows kind of uh, fall into the same vein as what WCW Live was. And it was basically, we talked to Mark Madden about it, it was basically the original podcast. It was him, Mean Gene, Lee Marshall at one point, Chad Damiani, a.k.a. Deli Boy at one point. So, really, WCW Live was kind of the forerunner. I know a lot of people say Colt Cabana or this person kind of were the first people to do the podcast. But go all the way back to WCW Live and, and Mark Madden. And that was really the OG, to me anyway. And I think Mark Madden will agree, as you will hear in the interview, with that as well. We also talk about how he came, excuse me, became a WCW commentator. As a great color guy, he started in 2000 and why that happened, what happened. And we go a little controversy as uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan. His name is brought up in not such a good light, but it is a true story. So just um, listen out for that one. That is some good stuff. We talk about Mark Madden's announcing style. We talk about those Hawaiian shirts. We talk about it all. But of course, you know Mark Madden has a very, very strong opinion. So we are going to talk about DDP, or as he likes to call him, DD Me. We talk about his relationship with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. We talk about possibly the reason he was fired from WCW. Was it Scott Hall? Was it leaking information about the WCW sale? Very, very interesting stuff on that topic. Obviously, we do talk about Vince a little bit, and we do talk about the sale of WCW to Vince. So there's so many good things on here. I mean, just he's unbelievable. He's he's a controversial figure, but he's a great talker, a great mind for the business. Uh, just a joy to talk to. 
And we do, of course, like Chad mentioned, we do talk a little tiny bit about Jim Cornette with a little bit of controversy wrapped in there. Obviously, those two do not get along. And then, of course, last but not least, I just want to mention this. We do talk about current WWE and what he thinks about the product now. Does it suck? What are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? He's got very, very strong opinions about it. Not to say, you know, that I agree or disagree, but they are very strong opinions. And they were well thought out and they're well said. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a little bit of the former WCW commentator and now known as the super genius, Mark Madden. Absolutely. And we want to thank Mark Madden for taking the time to come on the two-man power trip and to go down memory lane, talk a little bit of WCW, as well as some of that current WWE talk that we do get out there. And as, like I said at the start, when it comes to Mark Madden, everything he says, everybody raises an eyebrow at. So hopefully uh, we get a couple more eyebrows raised following the publishing of this interview. So, John, as we start to move forward here, why don't we just say it one more time that today's episode is brought to you by the IRW Network. And every Monday, head on over there to get the brand new episodes of the Triple Threat Podcast featuring the franchise Shane Douglas as well as myself and John, the two-man power trip. It's an amazing collection of topics that we talk about. We deal with current events, we talk professional wrestling, and we go into the mailbag and we dig deep into those Ask Franchise Anything questions that are coming one by damn one by damn one, as The Rock would say. And we are so pumped to get these emails in and get these questions off to Shane. Shane loves them, and please keep them coming. And if you want to contribute, if you have listened to the show, the email address is the triple threat pod at gmail.com. Again, it's the triple threat pod at gmail.com. So please contribute to the Triple Threat Podcast if you can and get over to the IRW Network and listen every single Monday for a brand new episode over on that amazing platform run by the boss, Eric Bischoff. So, John, as the music starts to creep in, why don't you hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the super genius, Mark Madden. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs. The phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with a two-man power trip in 2017 as we come to a town near you. TMPT hits the road. September 9th, the Subway one-year anniversary in Kingsburg, New Jersey, with the hardcore icon, Tommy Dreamer. October 21st, we hit the Legends of the Ring in New Jersey. November 4th, we hit the big event in New York City. 
And the big one, the granddaddy of them all, the big guy, Wrestlecade in North Carolina on 11:25 with Arn Anderson and Telly Blanchard. There will be a Four Horsemen reunion for sure. So follow along with the two-man power trip as you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, he is a sports journalist, a radio talk show host. He is a former WCW color commentator. He is Pittsburgh's own, the super genius, Mark Madden. Please enjoy. Joining us on the line tonight is the man known as the super genius of Pittsburgh sports. He's a former WCW color commentator. He's a sports journalist. He's a radio talk show host. He is quite the outspoken individual. We are so happy to be joined tonight on the two-man power trip of wrestling by the one and only Mark Madden. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Very cool to have you on. We definitely have, uh, we, we have felt like we've been working our way towards you for a very long time because with all the stuff that goes on in professional wrestling, I feel like one person who we need to hear from is Mark Madden because you have been so outspoken and you've been so, uh, I guess, analytical about the business. But I just want to ask you, you know, how's everything going out in Pittsburgh and what's going on in the world of Mark Madden? Well, uh Nothing that people can hear on 105.9, the XFM, uh, every afternoon from 3 till 6 here in Pittsburgh. As far as wrestling goes, uh, I just think it's on a slippery slope right now because I know WWE is uh, drawing record revenue, they say, bringing in you know, uh, more cash than ever before. But I also know that their average viewer's age since the turn of the millennium has doubled which means their fans at some point are literally going to start to die out. Uh, I also know that less eyes are watching professional wrestling now than literally ever before. So what they've done is they've, they've, they've shrunk the audience by basically being held hostage by the Internet and catering to the whims of the inside wrestling crowd. And it's paid off because you can get more money from those hardcore fans than you can uh, anybody else, they're going to pay and pay and pay again. But what happens again when they age out or die out or run out of money or just lose interest? In the days when it was a very mainstream thing to watch, like in the mid-90s and late 90s, uh, if 5% of your audience drifted away, it sucked, but you could you know, always get them back. And it wasn't you know, a, a big raw number. Now, if 5% of the audience drifted away, that would be disastrous on just so many levels. And uh, with cable TV being somewhat devalued, it makes you wonder what the uh, next uh, rights fee WWE gets paid and who's going to pay it. Just, just so many things that are uncertain 
that, that people who cover wrestling right now tend to ignore in their haste to say all is well because, hey, they got to make a living too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so weird. Those numbers are just, they're, they're so skewed. And one of the things that I love to compare it to is the fact that we can still go back to WCW in 1999-2000, talk about all the negatives that had to do with that, but i got to say, WWE would kill for the audience that WCW 2000 had because at least those were hard, you know, a, a hardcore base of fans that they basically went away in uh, June 2001. But do you think that that's still reeling from, uh, from the closure of WCW that we lost so much of a fan base that cared so much about wrestling? Well, the main mistake WWE made when they bought WCW and folded it, they thought those fans would all move over to WWE. But as history has proven, a lot of those fans were just WCW fans and had no interest in wrestling now that their favorite promotion had disappeared. Uh, Do I think the business is still reeling from the loss of WCW? Boy, it's so long that that I think things tend to even out over time. I mean, there's still a negative effect, but, uh, you know, uh, the WCW audience has aged or died or, or, or whatever largely. Again, that was just so long ago. I think the wrestling business suffers every day, though, here in the United States from there not being a legitimate big-time second promotion. I enjoy Ring of Honor, uh, but it's not a big-time promotion. Global Force sucks. It's the furthest thing possible from a big-time promotion. Uh, But uh, the big thing about two big-time promotions back in the 90s was it made WWE work for it. Now WWE doesn't got to work for it. They can indulge. They can indulge their whims. It's basically for an audience of one, that being Vince McMahon, and to a lesser extent, Trips and Stephanie. A- again, just the weird dynamic in the current wrestling business, uh, one far, far removed from when wrestling was at its healthiest. So, what kind of impresses you about that WWE stranglehold? The fact that. You know, money is uh, is coming in kind of hand over fist, but the ratings are absolutely in the toilet. So what do you think it is they've done right, or what are some of the things that maybe impressed you kind of watching now from the outside looking in? Well, there's other metrics besides TV ratings now, uh, most notably uh, YouTube and, you know, secondary viewing, etc., VCRs. But uh, what impresses me? Not a lot. I think they have done really well with Lesnar. I think he's a very unique draw and worth every penny that, that they pay him. I'm impressed what they've done with Strowman. I'm impressed what they've done with Samoa Joe. That, that feud in there that includes Roman Reigns. And it goes to show you that for X amount of the audience, bigger is still better. You know, Finn Balor, they were talking about having him matched up with Lesnar at some point. That would be stupid and silly. It would look ridiculous. Who could suspend disbelief enough? to buy it when Brock Lesnar sells for Finn Balor. That's not to say he's not a charismatic kid, not to say he's not a very talented in-ring worker, but bigger, I think, it's not always better, but it still can be better. So I like what WWE's done with their big men. For a while, I really liked what they've been doing with the women, although I think that's kind of gone askew a little bit. I don't think they had enough good women available to split, you know, to do the brand split with the women as well. But I think uh, Ashley Flair, Charlotte, is a generational women's performer. I think Becky Lynn, Sasha Banks are excellent as well. Natalia Neidhart's finally getting her due. She always was a, a female performer at a very high level. They've really dropped the ball with Bailey, though. 
Bailey could have been the real big money baby face, the fan who got in the ring and made good, but they, they just don't know what to do with her. And it's worth noting that a large part of her character in NXT was crafted by Dusty Rhodes, the, the late American Dream. So now when you have to like kind of fix Bailey up, there's nobody to go to that is familiar with the genesis of the character, not as familiar as, as Dusty was anyway. Right, and you see. Other than that, I think everything else. I think everything else just about sucks. To be very, very blunt, I mean, I'm, Dean Ambrose is is terrible. He throws the worst working punch in history. Seth Rollins is decent, but we've just seen it all before. So much stuff is just the same thing on top of the same thing on top of something similar on top of the same thing, and it it just has me, you know, flip the dial at many occasions during Raw and SmackDown. We saw that women's revolution really take off, and they obviously became such a huge part of the show, and now they're main eventing, and they can be uh, headlining the pay-per-view, and even to the point where they're having their own, you know, quote, Barbie doll or, or girl doll coming out. So they obviously see the marketing ability of it, but we saw, yeah, with Bailey, and we've heard so many people come on the show and say it, that the ball was dropped with Bailey. But do you think, they kind of alluded to it, but do you think they've kind of nah, given up on that whole women's revolution, but they've seen it maybe peak in terms of what they can do with it, and now they're kind of... Oh, no, if, it, if, it, if it's peaked, if it's peaked and they're backpedaling, it's their fault. They just don't know what to do. I mean, a lot of their stuff, they just don't know what to do. They have so many matches that appear out of nowhere with no buildup. We used to call them in WCW coffee pot matches. The backstage camera would catch two people running into each other at the coffee pot, and the next thing you know, they're in the ring against each other. Or, of course, the evil general manager puts together some kind of match to wreak havoc with the babyface side of the street, and that's been overdone for how many years? They just don't know what to do. And a part of it is they have too many script writers who, who like, were involved with TV shows and whatnot or, or dirt sheets, uh, web, web sites, etc. But they, they never really worked in wrestling and don't understand the episodic nature of the business. Or, in some cases, it's too episodic, but... But it's never a slow burn. It's never, they're never looking to draw money. I, I know, because this is how we were in WCW down near the end. You weren't looking to build a good product. You're just looking to get that night's show over with. So you see the parallels then with the end of WCW, that 2000, 2001 WCW, and what's going on with WWE today? Well, I see a slight parallel in terms of just everything feels rushed and and, and nothing, uh, very rarely does stuff get to where it should go. I'm not going to say never, because sometimes it does. Uh, again, the big man stuff, I think, is playing out very well. But the WCW went out of business because TBS and TNT just didn't want to have it on uh, their stations anymore. Uh, as soon as Ted Turner sold out TBS, and he was no longer the guardian angel of wrestling, which he was for many years on TBS and TNT, then all it took would be one guy who just hated wrestling to get it off the network, and that guy was named Jamie Kellner. Now, obviously it would have been harder to do were WCW not hemorrhaging money and were the ratings not dropping, but, uh, but, but nonetheless, it was still you know the most watched program, if memory serves, on TNT at the time Nitro folded. They just didn't want wrestling on their TV anymore. And with WCW, I mean, I, I'm always a big WCW fan. Obviously, you were the voice of WCW or part of I was WCW. a big fan of getting paid by WCW. 
But one thing that really no, no, I mean, all kidding aside, that's the promotion I grew up preferring, despite being in a WWE stronghold here in Pittsburgh. Uh, I, uh, TBS Saturday Night uh, was and remains my favorite wrestling show ever because everything's better when you're a kid, and that was right in my wheelhouse. That's what I did, you know, at the end of the afternoon every Saturday, turned on TBS Saturday Night. But with you, I, I can't help but think since we're a podcast and you know we do the you know this this internet show, I can't help but thinking you know guys like Colcabana say they're the, the godfather of the podcast and things like that. But if you really think about it, when you were doing WCW Live and you really you kind of were doing the first internet talk show, you guys were kind of doing the first. Oh you know, no, podcast, no question. Well, it wasn't a podcast; it was live. My memory live. fails. I'm not sure if you could access it, you know, later after the initial broadcast. But nobody has ever done a podcast or a internet show to equal WCW Live. You had first-hand access to the creative people like Russo and Bischoff, uh, Ed Ferrara, and so forth. You had the, the stars of the promotion were on on a regular basis, not just you know the, the the guys who wandered backstage because they didn't have a match on Nitro because they weren't very highly regarded. And you had me. I mean, to blow my own horn. Toot toot! I at the time and still am a professional radio announcer. So when I was on, I was the glue that kind of held it together and steered it to where it wanted to go. And now, when you have these other, you know, podcasts and so forth, you don't have professional radio guys. You have professional wrestling guys who might have been great at cutting ninety-second promos, but it's not the same when you're talking on, on a show like this one. You know, you've got to be able to have that stream of consciousness rant that adds up as interesting and makes sense. And in my case, you know, in Pittsburgh here, it has to go on for three hours. WCW Live would go on for uh, one or two hours, as I recall. And we did it every night. I was not every night, but, but the show uh, went, went out every night. So uh, WCW Live, I think, was a pioneer. No one has yet to match it. Guys, we're somewhat of obviously originators and innovators at that point. But did any of the guys have any problem with you guys if you were like breaking kayfabe or promoting something you weren't supposed to be promoting? Yeah, sometimes Eric got mad, but you know it was checks and balances. It didn't really stop us. It might have, you know, kept us from saying certain things that 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 he didn't want out there. But but Eric would get mad. But Eric Bischoff at the same time was was the biggest booster of the show. And there were a couple of guys named Tom Hunt and Mike Weber who worked in communications for WCW that stood behind it as well. Uh, I mean, if Eric didn't want to do it, he was certainly on it often enough. I mean, not, not frequently, but he was on it. So, uh, no, I, I, there were a few instances, but, but, you know, that's what bosses are supposed to do. They're supposed to get mad so people don't go too far over the ledge. But we did that sometimes anyway. Now, how did you go from doing, you know, WCW Live, you're doing alternate commentary, to actually going to Nitro in 2000 with the Hawaiian shirts eventually, but going there and becoming an actual announcer on the broadcast? Well, the Hawaiian shirts, uh, that was later in, I was only on for maybe a year. And the Hawaiian shirts were because I wore a Hawaiian shirt for Spring Break Nitro at Panama Beach City. Hmm. And Vince Russo, was the creative guy at that time, thought I looked like John Candy in the movie Summer Rental. So he told me to keep wearing them, which was fine by me. And I still have a lot of the Hawaiian shirts from that era. Fans used to give them to me all the time. And I've actually maintained that trademark. I do a Sunday night sports TV show here in Pittsburgh. 
and I still wear those shirts, mainly because I'm lazy. Who wants to get in a suit if you don't have to? But the main reason I got on Nitro, and this is something that the guys who supposedly report this business, like Meltzer, and Dave does a great job 98% of the time, but the other 2% of the time he protects people. He protects his friends. And uh, Bobby Heenan uh, would often show up to work impaired uh, at that stage of his career. He'd been drinking uh, before work. And Kevin Sullivan and Bill Bush were in charge of WSW at the time, and they got tired of it, and they called me up about noontime one day. I was in Pittsburgh, and they said, can you get to Wilkes-Barre Scranton by showtime? We want to put you on to do color. And uh, I got my stuff together. I canceled my uh, – I didn't cancel my radio show, but I got somebody to fill in, and I got to Wilkes-Barre Scranton as soon as I could. And, and you know, I was uh, on the show until uh, Diamond Dallas Page got me fired because he's a big baby. And he didn't like me healing on him. Even though I was a heel, color guy, he was a baby face, and that's kind of the way it works. You know, he complained and complained and complained. The one thing about Paige is dealing with him is exhausting. And at some point it's easier to give him his way. But that's okay. After I left, Kevin Nash told me, he goes, you know, you were tired of doing it anyway. And I was. Uh, the company was just in such bad shape. I'd been traveling nonstop. Uh, well, actually working nonstop, traveling on the weekends with WCW and doing my radio show for like three years because once WCW Live started, I used to, you know, go to most of the Nitro. So uh, maybe it was just time for me to not do that anymore. And I talked very briefly with Jim Ross about getting a chance at WWE, but uh, that never panned out. So, you know, I'm very content to have done what I did and to be doing what I'm doing now as well. So you're saying D.D. Me was for real when you would call him D.D. Me? That was like a shoot, basically? Was well, it, he, was he and I started out as, at loggerheads, and then we were okay for a while because I always was impressed with how hard he works. But, but he is a guy who's just incredibly selfish and just, uh, like I said, he's exhausting to deal with. Uh, he, he, he has no self-awareness and can't even see that when he tries to help people, you know, it's mostly about promoting himself. Case in point, I give Paige a ton of credit for all the great things he did to help Scott Hall and Jake Roberts, especially Scott, because Scott's a friend of mine, right? But why there always have to be a camera crew there? Why couldn't the good deed be its own reward? Why did it have to be about DDP yoga, bro, 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 DDP yoga, bro? It just, like I said, he's just exhausting. So basically, you do and were good friends with Hall and Nash. You guys seem to have a, a good relationship on air, but it was a good relationship off air as well? I, I think so. I mean, you'd have to ask them. I, I'm always very wary of saying how people feel about me because you never really know. But I consider them to be two of the uh, best guys I've worked with and met, Sean Waltman in that group as well. I got fired from WCW when I was doing the hotline and Internet and all that stuff You know, before I got on TV. Uh, because I said something on the hotline that uh, one of the vice presidents didn't like. I forget what it was, just kind of one of those weird things where the wrong guy listened to the wrong thing at the wrong time. So they fired me, and Hall and Nash made such a commotion uh, with, with you know, uh, the publicity people, the media people. This was at the height of the NWO invasion. They wouldn't do interviews until they brought me back. So they brought me back, and literally I got a 100% raise, so... You don't find many real friends like that in wrestling, but, but Scott, Kevin, Sean are definitely that as far as I'm concerned.
And a lot of people also credit you with creating a great catchphrase, the Spinner-Rooney for Booker T, obviously. Is that true? Did you in- indeed? Well, I know Chris Jericho initially did it uh, when we did, like, you know, the, the Internet broadcast from house shows that were sold out. Yes. Or maybe he did it on WSW Live. But Jericho was the first guy to yell Spinner-Rooney when Booker did the thing. But then I did it on TV. And, of course, nothing in wrestling really happens till it happens on TV. So uh, I get the credit, which I gladly let trickle down to Jericho. You know what's great, though, about like some of those shows? like They did house shows, but they kind of did alternate commentary and stuff like that. Did anything ever happen with that commentary? Like, Did they ever actually end up doing anything with it? Oh, it, it got broadcast over the Internet. You could hear it live. But besides that, like, did they did they say there was like a plan for it? Were they going to... Um... You know, kind of. No, no, they ju- they just wanted a way for people to listen to loaded house shows. You know, with a great lineup that were sold out. That was the that was the only impetus behind it. Uh, you know, were they testing the waters with me or Deli Boy or whoever? I don't know. I did it with Deli Boy a lot. Chad Damiani sometimes with Okerlund, sometimes with Lee Marshall. I'm not sure if there was a grand plan other than to just ride the wave and make sure the internet knew what a big deal these house shows were when we were doing. Great business. Now, just remembering back to WW in 2000 when you're, you know, you're calling the action, obviously bringing in some quote unquote new blood, and obviously the Millionaires Club, so to speak, was there as well. Were there certain guys like Scott Steiner that you really did enjoy more than some of the other guys? Because it always seemed like you were pushing for some of the younger guys to take out some of the. Oh well, no, I, I don't know that I, you know, I mean, I enjoyed being a heel. Uh, the guy, though, that I think I did my best work with was one of Anats Goldberg's matches. Because I always took Goldberg as totally serious. I didn't crack jokes because I, I like to crack wise. I mean, uh, come on. Like when I did the Viagra on a pole match, I got told afterwards by, by Eric Bischoff that, oh, you were too funny during that. I go, right, because I should have caught it like O'Connor and Rogers at Comiskey Park. And uh, Eric, Eric backtracked and said, yeah, I guess you're right. But Goldberg was the real guy. So I treated his matches like they were real, like legitimate sporting contests. And, I, again, I think I really did my best work when Bill was out there. Did you have any problem with any of the old guard, like a Ric Flair or like a Hogan? I know you like Flair personally, but did you have any problem with them at that point? No, Ric Flair and I remain, remain friends to this day. I, I, I rewrote, technically edited, but I, I really rewrote his autobiography. Hogan, Hogan sometimes just didn't get that I didn't think he was the best ever. You know, because I grew up a Flair fan, right? Right. But, but he just didn't get sometimes that I just didn't. There were so many people there that just sucked up the Hulk and just did everything he said, including members of upper management. There were times when we would talk, he just seemed to not believe that I didn't fall in line. But to be fair, he never held it against me. And, and uh, you know, just socializing with Hulk, I, uh, he was a great guy. It's just I didn't see him as the be-all and end-all of the wrestling business, especially not at that point. And what he did at the, uh, boy, I forget the year, what he did at Halloween Havoc, where he told Nick Patrick not to make the fast count where he was supposed to make the fast count, and then Bret Hart restarted the match, and Sting won the match, was supposed to get Bret and Sting really over, but since it wasn't a fast count, all it did was make those two look like a couple of dorks confuse the issue, and make Hulk look like uh, he had won the match. So, uh, 
you know, that, that, that was an example. That was Starcade 97 is what it was. Yes. And that was an yes. example of, of, of Hogan welding his power and doing a little backstage dirty work to keep himself on top. But, uh, you know, stuff like that. I mean, the, the guy should have been fired right away after compromising the referee, after compromising Nick Patrick. And if Nick Patrick wouldn't admit to being compromised, then Nick Patrick should have been fired for going against the script. But, uh, but a, a lot of times backstage, especially around Hogan, Things got really chaotic because nobody wanted to, wanted for Hogan to know an unpleasant moment, let alone uh, have him be subject to any kind of even minor discipline for for going against uh, for for going off the reservation. Now, as we start to wind it down here, I just got to ask because you're part of so much. I guess you want to say turmoil and stuff at that point in WCW, kind of on the downswing. There was so much going on. They had uh, Bischoff coming in and out, Russo in and out. Do you have any favorite kind of moment or any favorite sort of uh, angle or anything at that point in that time, or was it just too uh, too much turmoil going on? I never had a problem with anything that went on. I mean, I I liked <laughs> I liked my job. I liked the people I work with. I mean, the bash at the beach where you know Russo came out and chewed out Hogan. Everybody's debated since then if it was a work or a shoot. I I don't care. I didn't care then. I mean, I sold it, you know, for the sake of putting Russo over and uh, and Jared over because that was the direction I thought we were going in. Uh, but was it a work? Was it a shoot? I don't know. I don't care. What it was was just stupid. I mean, uh, I understand that, that, that suspension of disbelief is harder to get people to do more and more all the time. But that doesn't mean you urinate all over it. And, and that's what that finish did, and that's what wrestling now in general does. It's just we don't even ask people to suspend disbelief. We just, you know, follow along on the Internet, and you can have your say on Twitter and on Reddit and on the uh, message boards. It just, I just don't like that the business is held hostage by the fans, letting the fans kind of dictate, not directly, but, 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 but their opinions are weighed in too much because you're never weighing in the opinions of all the fans, especially the ones that have long since departed, as the audience shrinks, you're weighing in the interest of the rabid knuckleheads who, who will do anything to have their voice heard. Uh, again, it's just, I, I don't like the product. I don't hate it, just don't like it. And that goes for all the promotions, except for Ring of Honor, which has terrible production values compared to WWE, and there's a lot visually that's wrong with it, but it's a product with some integrity in terms of storylines and logic. And I will always respect and watch Ring of Honor because of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you just echoed the sentiments of the longtime and, and hardcore fan feeling the same way about Ring of Honor. But, Mark, our time's running out here, and we were so happy to get you on. And this has been a lot of fun, and we could talk to you literally all night. And, of course, if you are listening anywhere in the world, you can get him on 105.9 The X which is a part of iHeartMedia, so you can get that online, which is awesome. I would love to have you in my local area just to listen to your voice on a daily basis, talking sports and getting a little bit of wrestling. But before we let you go and before you can give the fans everywhere that they can find you, just got to get it quick. Do you have any kind of response for Jim Cornette? He's basically the same. You know, he's got the whatever he said in the past. He just he reiterates he's got a very big podcast. You may know. But with that being no, said... No, no, I don't know. I mean, I, I have... <laughs> I have no awareness what Jim's doing. I don't want to get in some, you know, verbal war with him. But one thing I'll say about Jim Cornette, he does a lot of talking, but I've never heard or seen him throw a punch. 
It's just a lot of blah, blah, blah. I'll do this. I'll do that. But he never does anything. So I just want to let it go with that. He, he, he's a little dog who barks a lot and has never bitten, and he's made himself unemployable in a business that he should run by now, given his admitted storage of knowledge. He just assholed his way out of the business. I don't think he's thrown a punch because he does wield the tennis racket, so maybe he's held the punch close <laughs> to the vest. <laughs> he, he's not even a man enough to play tennis. Well, Mark, this has been great. Please, before we let you go, share with the listeners and the fans where they can find anything and everything in the world of the super genius himself, Mark Madden. WXDX.com. That's my radio station. You can also read some sports columns I do at timesonline.com. And on your Twitter, my God, please keep doing what you're doing with the pictures that you put up there. At Mark Madden next, right. (laughs) Please follow Mark for uh, your daily dose of uh, a little bit of goodness, and I'll just leave it at that. I, I don't retweet the Triple uh, X chicks because my uh, my station started frowning on that about three years ago. <laughs> the first the first one to notice that I stopped was Scott Hall, and when I told him why, he said, "Stay on." He goes, "Good move, stay on the payroll, brother." Well, Mark, this has been awesome. We appreciate it, and thank you so much. And keep doing uh, some amazing work out there in Pittsburgh. We uh, we do a podcast with Shane Douglas as well, so uh, we get our our dose of Pittsburgh once a week. Oh, maybe too much. We'll give the franchise my best. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.